I was thinking about Mother's Day, and I realized that Mother's Day is one of the most celebrated days in all of the year. A mother is someone you can go to anytime. So God made moms. <laughs> they made them extremely understand, uh, to be extremely understanding and very forgiving with a tremendous amount of grace, with a tremendous amount of mercy and kindness. There's always a new day with the mom. But I was thinking about what would moms want on a day like today? You know, like Mother's Days are usually one of the highest attending Sundays of the year. And the reason for it is, is because moms are always willing to do, or, or everybody's always willing to do whatever mom wants on that day. Well, what does mom want? Mom wants everybody to come to church. <laughs> mom wants everybody to know God. Mom wants everybody to serve God. Mom wants everybody to be saved eternally. And so that's why I thought today I would love to start something on Mother's Day called the study of God. The study of God. When you worship God, who are you worshiping? Who is He? What is He like? What is His nature? So, this study of God will look at the very attributes of God. His eternal power. His very divine nature. And if we can grab a hold of His divine nature, His eternal attributes, who He is, the essence of who God is, it would force us, it would drive us, it will, it will compel us to worship Him, to serve Him, to give ourselves to Him in a great way. I want to start off by reading Romans chapter 1, verse 20. So if you have Bibles with you, turn with me. To Romans chapter 1, verse 20. The Bible says this. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen. Let me read that again. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes. I always read over that. And kind of skimmed over it because, okay, what are those? What are His invisible attributes? Then it says His eternal power. I got an idea of what that is. But then it says His divine nature. What is His divine nature like? Well, that's what we'd like to look into today. So we're going to look at God. His invisible attributes, His divine natures, what they are like, and how we can know God better by having a greater understanding of these attributes. Thinking about who God is, and thinking about what God's attributes are, is the most important mind activity anyone here on earth in their lifetime can have. That it's the highest 
level of thought is to wrap your mind around who God is. It is the healthiest frame of mind any human being can have in this world, in this lifetime. A.W. Tozer said it this way, and I quote, Whatever comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. When I say God, whatever comes into your mind when you hear the name God, that is the most important thing about you. Tozer is right. Why? Because your most dominant concept of God is the most determinative influence in your life. Nothing influences, molds you, and forms you in a greater way than your understanding, your concept of who God is. Your concept of God is the rudder that steers the ship of your life. Your concept of who God is, is what directs and determines your life, your decisions, your goals, your purposes, the meaning of life. Whether consciously or unconsciously, we all live out our most basic understanding of who God is. It is our knowledge of God that determines how we see the entire world around us. Your and my ultimate worldview is completely shaped by who we believe God is. The attributes of God are like the lens through which we see the world around us. It is how we size up world events. It is how we understand the circumstances of life, including the circumstances we are going through right now. It is how we understand ourselves. Our knowledge of God is the interpretive key that unlocks our understanding of our own purpose. My understanding of God is the interpretive key of how I understand the meaning of my life. My understanding of God is the interpretive key that helps me understand not just the meaning of this life, but the, my ultimate worldview and my understanding of eternity. I mean, everything about how you perceive and filter circumstances, life, meaning, purpose, and so forth, everything filters through your lens of how you view God and who He is, what His attributes are, what His nature is like. It is our knowledge of God that shapes how we think. How we think decides how we feel. In other words, people, people's emotional state of being is very much determined upon what forms their perspective. And the thing that forms their perspective is their knowledge or their understanding, their concept of who God is to them. It is our knowledge of God that most shapes what we believe and therefore how we live. It is the knowledge of God that decides how we worship. Let me say it in a different way also. It is our knowledge of God that 
decides or determines whether we worship or not. Because when you have a knowledge of God's attributes and you see His glory and you see His majesty and you see just how great God is, it is only natural for us then to worship what we see, what we know, and what we understand. It is the knowledge of God that determines how I serve Him. You couldn't serve a God you do not know. You couldn't serve a God that you do not know with all of your heart. It is my knowledge of God that determines how I invest my treasure. It is my knowledge of God that determines how I invest my time. It is the knowledge of God that shapes how we die. If the height of your life could be measured, then it would be as high as your knowledge of God. A high view of God leads to a high and holy lifestyle. A high view of God leads to soaring moments of worship as we recognize, identify, and see a glimpse of who He is. It draws worship out of us. And a high view of who God is draws high levels of worship from our hearts. A low view of God does the opposite. A low view of God leads to low living. A low view of God leads to trivial worship. A low view of God leads to distracted worship. A low view of God leads to no worship. A low view of God leads to unimpressive and powerless worship. A wrong view of God leads to wrong believing. A wrong believing always leads to wrong living and unacceptable worship. So really what I'm bringing to you this morning as an opening concept and idea is that absolutely everything about your life hinges upon this one thing, which is your understanding of who God is. Do you know His nature? Do you know His attributes? When you worship, who do you worship if you don't know who He is? We cannot be wrong about God and be right about life. Impossible. He's the giver of life. We cannot be wrong about God and right about the purpose that God made us for. How can I be right about my God-given purpose if I don't even know the God who gave me and made me for that purpose? If I'm wrong about God, I cannot be right about the reason why I was made, the meaning of the life that I have. If I'm wrong about God, I'm wrong about the meaning of love. I'm wrong about the meaning of life. I'm wrong about the understanding of eternity. I am wrong about everything if I don't know God. If I don't understand who He is. So that's why today it's so big to me 
that we have to be, we have to attempt to have a glimpse of the attributes of God. Why? Because it says right there in our opening verse in Romans 1 verse 20, for since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes and His eternal power and His divine nature, His, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and His divine nature, they have been clearly manifested to us. We can view them. Now, we can't view all of God. It, it is like it's as impossible to take the concept of God and put it in a human's confined mind. It is as impossible to do that as it is to take infinity and push it into something that is finite. So impossible is it for us to grab a hold of all of who God is and understand it with our finite minds. Because one day when we're in heaven, we will have an exponential understanding of God continually throughout all of eternity. You know that wow moment when you stand on top of a very, very high mountain and you just look at the beauty of the world and you go, wow. That moment, that wow moment, we will experience continually throughout all of eternity in heaven as we learn more and more and more about who God is, His divine nature and His, and His power and His attributes. However, today we can grab a glimpse of who God is by looking into who God says He is in, this, in the world. Uh, in the Word, excuse me. So what is an attribute? What is an attribute of God? It refers to who He is. It refers to what God is. It refers to the divine character and nature of God. It is the personhood of God, the qualities of His person, His personality, His being, what He is like. To claim that you know a person means that you know what they are like. When I got married to Tina one and a half decades ago, <laughs> then I thought I knew her. But looking back, I realize now that I barely knew her then. I thought I knew her when we got married, but basically one and a half decades later, I realized I only know her now. My knowledge of her has deepened and broadened as a result of living with her for that long period of time. And I've become so much more closer to her because I know her so much better. Closeness hinges on or hangs on the knowledge of. My closeness to Tina is determined and dependent upon the amount that I know of her. You are as close to God as your knowledge of God. You and I aren't close to God because we have a feeling. We are close to God because we have an understanding. I'll just give a second for us to think through that because I believe... 
that is so important for so many of us. To be close to God means to understand God in a greater way. In the same way, when we were saved, we entered into the knowledge of God. The Bible does say, and this is eternal life, and this is it, that we may know God, right? This is eternal life that we may know Him. So when we were saved, we entered into the knowledge of God, and that is what it means to have eternal life. But that was only the beginning. As we now grow in the grace and the knowledge of God, we grow closer to God. And as we grow closer to God, because we understand Him more, our worship becomes deeper and higher. Our love becomes wider and more fruitful. So let's ask the question, what are the attributes of God? What are the attributes of God? What are these qualities of His nature so we can know Him more, so that we can be closer to who He is? So let's take a dashboard look, a dashboard view at exactly who God is. And in the coming weeks, we will delve deeper into the very attributes of God. But let's take a dashboard overview of who He is. Number one, the attributes of God, the first attribute of God is the aseity or seity of God. The aseity of God. The word aseity is A-S-E-I-T-Y. The aseity of God. This is the attribute of self-existence. The attribute of self-existence. God finds, God finds every necessary element to exist within Himself. God is not dependent on anyone. He is not dependent on anything outside of Him to exist. He self-exists. We are all dependent upon God while God is dependent on no one and nothing. This is an important concept to have of who God is because it helps us understand His Word and doctrine further down the road. The second attribute of God is the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God. This aspect here explains God's position as God. I love, to, I love to say it this way. He is never not God. He is never not God. There is nowhere in this universe where He is not God. This term expresses God's rule and God's reign over his enti the entirety of His creation. There isn't an atom, there isn't a molecule that is not under the sovereignty of God's rule and God's reign. That's what makes Him God. If there was, <laughs> if there was like Sproul says, a maverick molecule that, that decided to override God, then that molecule would be God. It would reign over God. No, but God reigns over all. God is sovereign. 
We are not waiting on the second coming of Christ for God to begin His reign. Now, this used to be a thought of mine, but I've learned otherwise later in my life <laughs> that this is not true. We are not waiting on the coming of Jesus Christ, His second coming, so that God can start His reign and His rule. No, He was God before anything was created. Can I have a little bit more sound in the house, please? He was God before anything was even created. He was God in His creation. And He will be God after all of creation goes away. He is God throughout. God is reigning in every single moment of every single day of your life. That's why we can rest in the sovereignty of God. God is reigning. The third attribute of God is the holiness of God. All of who God is and all of what He does is perfect in every way. This is the holiness of God. His essence and His deeds, it's, they are all perfect. There is never a misstep. There is never an alternative, alternative motive, an ulterior motive. God is perfect in every way. He's holy. There is no shadow in Him. He is pure light. There is nothing crooked in Him. He is the essence of purity. There is nothing evil in Him. He is only righteous all the time. The fourth attribute of God is the omnipresence of God. Omni is all and everywhere present. This means that God is everywhere presence, present with the fullness of all that He is. From the top of heaven to the bottom of hell, God is everywhere. From the beginning of time, throughout every single age and every single generation, to the very last moment of time, God is never absent, but God is always present. The fifth attribute of God is the omnipotence of God. Omni again means all and everywhere. Potence means power, might, strength, force, vigor. God is all-powerful everywhere. From the largest thing ever created to the smallest molecule in existence... God is all-powerful everywhere. This is an attribute of who God is. Number six, the sixth attribute of God is the immutability of God. The immutability of God. This means that God is unchanging. This means that God does not mutate. Folks, I know that you might go like, why are we listening to this? This is a foundational block upon which you have to stand in order to reach to a higher understanding of who the God is that you worship and serve. God does not change. There's a reason why you need to understand this. The immutability of God, He does not mutate. 
in his character. He does not change in his being. He does not alter in his word. His will and his judgments never change. They're always the same from the beginning to the end of time. Throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament, God is the same God. He never changes, alters, diminishes, or is augmented. He's always the same. The seventh attribute of God is the truthfulness of God. God is truth, the Bible says. He is the measure of all reality. God is the true north of normalcy. Everything contrary to God is abnormal. (laughs) When you look to this world, I'll tell you what is abnormal. The things in this world that is contrary to the Word of God, that's abnormal. Everything is whatever God says it is. All things are, in fact, as God defines it to be. That's what it is. Nothing else. Nothing more, nothing less. There is no revision of anything in God. What God defines something to be, that's what it is for all eternity. Sin is what God says it is. Love is what God says it is. He is a truthful God. Truth is what God says it is. Salvation is what God says it is. God will not lie because God cannot lie. The eighth attribute of God is the wisdom of God. This means that God chooses the best means to the highest ends. God chooses the best means to the highest ends. This is His wisdom in action. See, Christ is God's wisdom unto your salvation. The best means unto the highest ends. The cross is God's wisdom unto your forgiveness. The best means, the cross, unto the highest ends, your forgiveness. The resurrection is God's wisdom for our justification. God's wisdom is the best means to the highest ends. The ninth attribute of God is the goodness of God. The goodness of God. God is good at all, to all, throughout all time. Unbelievers and believers alike. The tenth attribute of God is the grace of God. Now, if you don't mind, to turn with me to Romans chapter 8, verse 29. Romans chapter 8, verse 29. The Bible says this, For those whom He foreknew, those whom He foreknew. Now let me just pause there for a second. Many people look at that word foreknew, and they interpret it as in, He knew what you were going to do beforehand. But that's not what the word means. That word means that when it says in the Bible that he knew her and therefore now she had a child, that means he loved her. He knew her. And God beforehand loved you before you were born, before the foundations of the earth. He knew you and he foreknew you. The Bible says right here, for those whom He foreknew, He also, what? Predestined. 
predestined them to become conformed to the image of His Son, so that He would be the firstborn among many brethren. Verse 30. And those and these whom He predestined, He also called them. And these whom He called, He also justified. And these whom He justified, He also glorified. Raised them up with Christ. Folks, right here you see that God foreknew you. And because He foreknew you, He predestined you. Because He foreloved you, He foreloved you so much, He predestined you unto salvation through the cross. And therefore, because He predestined you, He now called you with His Spirit because Jesus said, no man comes to me unless the Father draws him. He calls you and He calls you until you come. And then He justified you and now He glorifies you so you can be with Him forever. This shows me that God showed you grace. He gave you His un merited favor. You hadn't even existed and He foreloved you. He, he already predestined you. He already decided He was going to call you and justify you and glorify you before time, before the foundations of the earth. He saw you and He loved you and He chose you and He had grace towards you. He had unmerited favor towards you and He said, you are the one. God showed you grace, unmerited favor, by foreknowing you. God shows you unmerited favor, His grace, and He predestined you. He showed you unmerited favor and grace. And therefore, He called you to be His own. That's what it means to be favored by God. The world will hate you for it, not love you for it. They will despise you like they despised Joseph. Like they despised, because His Father had favored on Him. They will despise you like they did Jesus. Why? Because God favored Him. And now the world is going to love you because God favors you. Not so. That is not biblical favor. The biblical favor means that God foreknew you. Billions of people on this earth. And He calls you. He justifies you through Christ. And He glorifies you because of Christ. Unmerited. Unmerited favor. This is the grace of God. The 10th attribute of God. The 11th attribute of God is that God is love. What does this mean? It means that God sacrificially gives of Himself to seek the highest good of those whom He shows His favor to. God will do everything and anything He must in order to save those He has placed His affections upon, even to the point of dying upon a cross. The 12th attribute of God is the foreknowledge of God, which I just talked to you about. This is to express those whom He foreloved. The 13th attribute of God is the wrath of God. This is God's expression of His holy and righteous indignation against all kinds of evil and any evil. His righteous indignation against evil and iniquity is expressed by the wrath of God. This is a quality of God, and God is immutable. Therefore, it's a quality of God since the beginning of God, which is eternity past. And it is God throughout eternity to come. There are actually around about 28 attributes that the Bible identifies about God 
and outlines about God. But this is a good starting point for us. I just listed 13, and we will delve into those 13. But let's ask the question, how do, we, how do the, uh, the different attributes of God relate to each other? How do these different attributes of God relate to one another? His love and His wrath, His holiness and His grace, His sovereignty, His aseity, His omnipresence, His omnipotence. How do these all relate to one another? First, we see that the attributes are qualities of the entire Godhead. The attri- these attributes are qualities of the entire Godhead. This is so key. Don't think you're not going to need this later on in your understanding of God. This is so key. Each attribute is equally true for each person of the Trinity. What is true of the Father is true of the Son. What is true of the Father and of the Son is true of the Holy Ghost. Not only is God the Father perfect and holy, but so is the Spirit, which is the Holy Spirit, and so is the Son, which the Bible calls the Holy One. They are all equal in every attribute. Each person of the Godhead is equally loving. Each person of the Godhead is equally truthful, equally wise, equally good, equally holy. Every one of them. The Son is not more loving than the Father. Neither is the Father more loving than the Son. The entire Godhead, each person within the Trinity is equally marked by each attribute. The next to understand how these attributes relate to one another is that these attributes are eternal and they are permanent qualities of God. This is to say that God has had each of these attributes since eternal past and will have all these attributes through all eternity future. No attribute can be gained. No attribute can be lost in God. It is part of the immutability of God. If God were to give up any attribute or grow weaker in any attribute, He'd cease to be God. Watch this quick. If God was going to grow in an attribute or give up an attribute, He would cease to be God. If He was going to grow in an attribute, it means He wasn't God before He grew. <laughs> right? If He lessens in an attribute, I'll give you an example. If the Old Testament God had to grow in love, He wasn't God in the Old Testament. This is very important for us to understand. If God were to become any attribute or grow in any specific attribute, that would mean that God would have been less than God in times past. I hope that makes sense. This is important as we move from the Old Testament to the New Testament. God didn't somehow grow in His love for humanity and then decided to, now that I love humanity so much, I'm going to write the New Testament and give Him a new covenant. No, God always loved humanity the same way, equally. 
God was equally loving in the Old Testament as He is equally wrathful in the New Testament. He's immutable. He doesn't mutate. He does not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. There is no diminishing of the wrath of God going from the Old Testament to the New Testament. There is no increase of the love of God as we move from the Old Testament to the New Testament. God is immutable. Otherwise, He wasn't God back then. And if He was God back then, He can't be God now if He became less in any way. His attributes are eternal. Every one of them. God is the same God with the same attributes from eternity past throughout all time and all eternity. The third understanding to have regarding who God is, His attributes and how those attributes relate. That these attributes are inseparably connected. They cannot be separated. No divine attribute can be separated from any other divine attribute. Each attribute is a part of the whole. He isn't a piece of this and a piece of that. He's not a puzzle. No, He is a whole. Every part, every one of His attributes reflects Every other attribute. I'll give you an example. Think of it this way. Consider the holiness of God. Okay? Consider how holy God is. Sometimes we worship Him because He's holy, right? What are we doing? Who are we worshiping there? Let's understand that attribute of God so that when we worship Him, our worship can be alive, deep, wide, and high, and truth. We can worship Him in this truth of who He is. And He seeks those who worship Him in truth. So let's consider the holiness of God. Every other attribute of God is marked by this one attribute called holiness of God. And here's how you can think of it. His love, which is another attribute, is holy love. There is nothing unholy about God's love. You see, so there's the one attribute, God is love, but His love is holy love. It's a kind of love. There's nothing evil within God's love for you. There's nothing selfish in God's love for you. His power, second attribute, is holy power. There is never a moment where His power supports anything evil. It is a holy power. His power is powerful unto all things holy exclusively. Let's look at a third attribute. His wrath is holy wrath. There is nothing evil or unholy about the wrath of God. There's nothing unjust and nothing unfair about the wrath of God. There is nothing unfair about it. His wrath on any person is 100% deserved and justified. So we can see that the attributes are inseparably connected to one another. He is one God. He is never divided in any possible way. Why is it important for you and me to know and understand the attributes of God? Why is it important for you and me to look at this 
concept of the study of God and take notes and re-listen and re-study and rethink and cause this to become inscripted on our hearts? Why is this important? I'll give you a few reasons. And the first is because it causes us to experience transcendent worship. You will be able to worship God like you have never worshipped God before. If you can grasp just some of the attributes of God in the smallest degree, you will, your heart would naturally just start worshipping God for who He is. The greater your knowledge of God, the deeper your worship of God becomes. The greater your knowledge of God is, the deeper your worship of God becomes. When our worship is forced, which oftentimes it is, mine is, sometimes yours is, I'm sure. When our worship is dry, when our worship is tired, sometimes when it's just downright dead. then we need a breathtaking view of God again to revive our worship of who He is. We, we need a mind-expanding view of God which will breathe life and desire into our worship of God. We need that breathtaking view, that, wow, look at God. We need that in order to be a worshiper of God. Nobody worships an underwhelming God. You don't fall down before a non-great God and worship with all of your heart. People do it as rote. They do it because they were trained to. They grew up in that culture. But nobody naturally just worships God. And they worship They don't have naturally soaring worship unless they see who God really is. His attributes. So the first reason we need to know this is because of transcendent worship. You see, it is the low views of God that causes the church to engage in trivial things of worship. Smoke machines and you know, stuff. If you have high, a high view of God, it would be easy to meet in an empty basement of an old broken down building and worship God together in truth. Passionately, with compassion, with a great desire. Without any other side support. No big sound systems, choirs and so forth. No, you would worship God because you, you can see who He is. Just like Paul and Silas when they were in prison. Without any sound systems, without any special lighting effects, without any special vocalists, without any great choirs. Just their view of God was enough for them to worship God in the middle of the night, full volume, because they knew the attributes of God. They knew who their God was. They knew His nature. Think of it this way. The word glory can be divided into two main categories. Two categories. 
There's the intrinsic glory of God. And then there is the ascribed glory to God. We ascribe glory to Him, but there is also this intrinsic glory of God. The intrinsic glory of God is the sum and substance of all that God is. That is His intrinsic glory. There is nothing anybody can do to increase the intrinsic glory of God. God is who God is. And it doesn't matter who does what. God is never minimized and He's never trivialized. You cannot maximize Him. God is who God is. He is the God who was and who is and who shall forever be. That is who He is. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You cannot give intrinsic glory to God. Ascribe glory, on the other hand, that's different. Ascribe glory is our response to this intrinsic glory of God. Now we give God glory because of His glory. We ascribe glory because of His intrinsic glory. Here is why this truth is so valuable. And quick, you follow me in this. This is so key to you. That a limited understanding, a limited understanding of the intrinsic glory of God will result in a limited ascribed glory given to God. The reason we in the West specifically have to rely so heavily upon all these support beams in our worship services and programs is because we don't understand the intrinsic glory of God because we have not wrapped our minds around these incredible attributes of who God is. People aren't raising their hands. We've got to turn the music up. People, people don't sing that song. Even though the words are good, they don't sing that song because it's not modern enough. Or, you know what, we, we, really, need, we really need more bass in this room. And, and I'm one for this. You know, I like things to sound good and to be... But the, the question isn't that. The question is, do you need that in order to worship God? Or can you worship God even if you don't have that because you know who your God is. You know His attributes, His nature. You see His intrinsic glory and you can't help but raise your hands even if it's in your room, if it's in the shower, if it's in your car, wherever you find yourself in, the, in good situations, in bad situations, you worship Him because of who He is, His intrinsic glory. Why is this doctrine of the attributes of God important? Because everything about your worship depends on it. And you, by the way, you were made to worship God. Therefore, by means of deductive reasoning, you cannot fulfill the purpose you were made for without also understanding the attributes of God and His intrinsic glory. So we see the first reason. The first reason why we need this message is because it allows us 
to experience transcendent worship. The second reason is because of humble living. Knowing the attributes of God is the great pride crusher in my life. To see God high and to see God lifted up, to see myself in light of that high and lifted up God is to be humbled. When I see His attributes, when I see His divine nature and His, and His mighty power, I, I immediately realize who I am in comparison to Him, and I'm humbled by it. Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. That's why I am who I am and what I am and what I've been able to do. Uh, we have, a, we have a epidemic in our modern world. Uh, the epidemic is the epidemic of egomaniacs. There's so many egomaniacs in this world. But egomaniacs are those who have never seen the attributes of God. They just look to their own attributes. They recognize their own glory, intrinsic glory, and demand to be loved by everyone. Demand to be celebrated. And how dare you, how dare you, <laughs> you with your microaggression, speak to me the way you did. You know, like we see our intrinsic glory in our own, and we elevate it within ourselves. But this is what happened in heaven with Lucifer. He stopped looking at God's attributes and God's intrinsic glory, and he started seeing how beautiful he was created by God. And egomaniacs are those who have never seen the attributes of God. See, a higher and ever-ascending knowledge of God brings a person lower and lower before God. And this fact drives us to prayer, drives us to say, have mercy upon me, God. God, I'm grateful for your mercy. God, I'm thankful for your grace. I'm ever indebted, God, to your goodness. I pray, God, for your will. I pray, God, that you, your glory, will flood the earth like the sea covers the earth. So your glory will flood this earth, God. Your intrinsic glory, in other words, the understanding of who you are, your nature, and also the ascribed glory that we give you because of it. Let it flood the earth like the waters, like the oceans flood the earth. The third reason why this message is important, why we should take notes and why we should listen to this again and why we should ascribe a script, script it on our hearts is because it's for the effect of ministry. The more I know God, the more I'm able to tell others about who He is. The more I know God, the more I want to teach others about what I have seen. The fourth reason why we need, to, we need to know this, we need to study this, and we need to write this down, and we need to memorize this and, 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 and write it on our hearts. The fourth reason is for personal encouragement. There is no greater comfort, there is no greater encouragement than the knowledge of who our God really is. Nothing encourages us more than knowing how powerful He is and that we are His. 
that knowing how omnipotent and omnipresent He is and knowing that we are His and knowing how eternal He is and knowing that we are His. Nothing more comfort, comforting and nothing more encouraging than knowing our God. The more I know God, the more I can trust God. That is why Charles Spurgeon's quote has grown so big within me. Charles Spurgeon said, The sovereignty of God is the pillow on which I lay my head at night. This, knowing the sovereignty of God allows a person to sleep at night, even if the world is aflame. The fifth reason why we need to know this, study this, write this down, ponder upon it, write it in our hearts, is because of the personal conversion that it produces. To be converted, one has to know a few things about God. To be born again, one has to know a few things about God. To be converted, you have to know something about the love of God, the holiness of God, so that I could see my need for God's forgiveness. To be converted, you have to know something about God's grace. That snatches you from the wrath of God. Jeremiah 9.23. Well, let me just make this statement. The Bible says, and this is eternal life, that you may know God. And this is eternal life that you may know God. You, know, you have to know something about God for conversion. And this is the reason we need to study His attributes. Jeremiah 9 verse 23 tw verse through 24a says, Thus says the Lord, Let not a wise man boast of his wisdom, and let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boast, boast of this, that he understands and knows me. This is why it is important to understand the attributes of God, the nature of God. John 10, 14, I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. John 17, 3 says, This is eternal life, that they may know you, God. Philippians 3 verse 8a says, more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. As a matter of fact, he says, everything else there is to be known is manure, is dung in comparison to knowing Christ. 2 Peter 3 verse 18 says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus, Savior, Jesus Christ. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But grow in this grace and in the knowledge of who He is. Constantly grow in understanding Him more. There is nothing more important you can do with your thought life than 
constantly, continually, regularly, daily wrap your mind around the nature of who our God is. To wrap your mind around His eternal, holy attributes. Because as we see who He is, we can't help but throw ourselves at His mercy and worship Him. Amen. Let me pray for you. Father, I have a, I have a hope in my heart today. I have a great hope in my heart that while we are separated geographically, that our worship will be united. Even though we are not together in one room, God, we are together in heart, in thought, and in our worship. May our worship be united. May our worship be sparked, not because of what we may get, because we do, but because of who you are, God. May we have a clear picture of you, God, your divine nature, just how great you are, your seity, the fact that you self-exist. You need nothing. You need no one. You are omnipotent. You are all-powerful. You are omnipresent. You are present everywhere all the time. Nothing and no one escapes your presence and your power. Everything that was ever created was created to ascribe glory to your intrinsic glory. This is who you are, God. And may we as a family today, may we understand your holiness, your justice, your love, your grace, and your mercy. May we understand your attributes and the nature, your nature that is eternal and divine. Oh God, may we see you as one and undivided. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, equally marked by every attribute that is divine, holy, and powerful. Oh, and what a privilege it is for us, God, that you graced us as you foreknew us, that you graced us with predestining us and that you graced us by calling us and then justifying us through the cross and glorifying us with Christ. Oh God, thank you for your goodness toward us. And even though we are separated in space, we are united in heart and spirit and that we can glorify you for who you are, that we may know you, God, and that we may grow in this knowledge of you consistently in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen.